watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Beheim! Wow, is that silencing a little bit. DeVito backs up, throws deep, has Harris right side, has a catch at the five, and he tumbles into the end zone. That's a touchdown from 46, and the Orange are rolling. The Bills make me want to shout. Allen looks to his left, fires left side. It goes to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On the Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7 ESPN Radio Utica Road Heard on 96.5 FM Heard wherever you are Whatever you are doing Via the ESPN app Great way to take us on the run Wherever you're going And all great ways to take in the show This is a radio show after all, right? Wrong. This is a multimedia experience tickling all of the senses. We're still figuring out that taste part. We'll get to that, but just go with me on this. Twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk, or simply log on to Twitch and find Q Sports Talk. And when you do that, what you are going to find is a. a can you just give me a second here? Can just, just uh, for our radio audience, I apologize. I'll, I'll try and walk you through this as best as I can. But, see, this this is what you get by watching us on twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk. So just, just pardon me for a moment here for our radio audience because this, this is going on here at Twitch. Okay, just, just doing a little house cleaning in here. Sorry. Sorry about that. I lo- looked over my shoulder and there, there was – a giant New York Yankees banner somehow hanging in this studio during this show. <laughs> I'm sorry. We only hang first place banners in this studio when it comes to the American League East. Sorry, that's just my rule. Okay, so yeah, that had to go. Okay, anyway, twitch.tv slash Q Sports Talk is where you see the show. You just saw that if you were watching on Twitch. Just an amazing thing our very eyes you can uh, chat throughout the show there's a live chat you can get in there you can just react to the show talk with your fellow twitchers and it's like the show within the show not only in that sense but when the radio audience goes to commercial breaks our friends on twitch do not i keep the mic on we discuss things maybe we're not discussing on the show maybe talk a little bit more about on twitch it's it's a magical place so make sure you check it out Q Sports Talk on Twitch. We have one guest joining us today. We're excited to talk to him. He's the head coach of Bayheim's Army, Jeremy Pope. A little tense last night for Bayheim's Army in that matchup. And as we will discuss on the show today and as we will discuss with Coach Pope, and I just really enjoy saying that. That's that's just a cool thing to say, Coach Pope. Uh, he'll join us at 520, by the way. Look, the old adage in sports is it's not how you start, it's how you finish. 
that was certainly not the case for Bayheim's Army last night. Now, they finished. They got to the Elam inning. They finished the game. They won the game. They did what they had to do to win. But how they started last night was crucial because their first matchup against Forces of Soul, they did not start well, and they barely got by with a look 22-3 run in the fourth quarter, credit where it's due. But it took them a while to warm up. It was like a, a car on a Syracuse winter morning. It just couldn't quite get the engine over until that last time before you're going to call AAA. Starting well last night was crucial for Bayheim's Army. So we'll talk to that about Coach Pope being a non-Syracuse person on Bayheim's Army, what that's like. Uh, that final uh, lineup last night, by the way, Four non-Syracuse players, one Syracuse player. It was Chris McCullough, who, by the way, barely qualifies as a Syracuse guy. He played like 17 games, and that, I'm not trying to take a shot there. It's just he was here for a cup of coffee, but still very proud, and Syracuse fans still embrace Chris McCullough, certainly. Hit the, the jumper to win the game. So we'll get into the matchup coming up for Bayheim's Army, what it will take to go all the way here. And uh, from what we understand, Coach Pope is a bit of a foodie, so has he had time to explore the Peoria food scene. We will get into all that coming up later in the show. Of course, college football realignment. Look, this is just going to be an ongoing discussion. It's going to be fascinating to see the updates on this, and no idea is too crazy. We were discussing some things before the show, and producer Josh sitting in once again today for Tommy Hogan on the road with Bayheim's Army. I brought up one thing. He said, that's crazy. And I'm like, look, Get that word out of your vocabulary. Nothing is too crazy in the world of college alignment and realignment and everything in between these days. We'll go on the blind side. A lot of hot takes out there about Simone Biles. That's hot. Bowing out, as we will certainly get into, uh, along with Aaron Rodgers. He's there. Welcome back. Did Green Bay give up too much to bring back Aaron Rodgers? We'll get into all that coming up. But where I want to start is on the Syracuse football front. Because what we're getting are daily reminders about why this is going to be the greatest no-one-believes-in-us campaign I've ever heard and seen in Syracuse, New York. If that's what motivates the players... If that is what qualifies these days as bulletin board material, which in the modern term is more like pin it on Twitter or whatever you can do on the other forms of social media to remind yourself of trying to perform at your best, being reminded of what the outside world thinks of you. It's one of the oldest tricks in the book for a coach. It's not always easy to pull off especially when you're a successful team. You can't pull the nobody believes in us stuff. Athletes say these things just because this is what they've always said, but I'm always amused when an Alabama football player says something along the lines of no one believed in us. Uh, no, everyone did. That's what comes with being an Alabama football player. That's what comes with being a New York Yankee. Simone Biles, as we'll get into later in the show, and the pressures that high-level athletes like that that are expected to win dynasties and high-level performing teams that are expected to win, right? They have to take a different approach. Phil Jackson had the best assembled roster in the NBA, but as we saw in the last dance, that wasn't so easy to manage, right? With winning and success, 
it becomes more about ego balance as opposed to what the outside world thinks of you. But there is nothing that motivates an athlete more than somebody in some way, shape, or form, and this is so much easier to access these days, thanks to social media, the growth of the traditional media, and everything in between, in some way intimating to them that you're not good enough. So the latest in this today was the All-ACC preseason team came out today. There is not one Syracuse football player represented on that list. Now, if you want to get into the specifics of it, while I feel Andrew Booth Jr. and Tony Grimes are both fine players, I will tell you this. Garrett Williams is going to be on the postseason All-ACC list. Write that down. Mark the tape, as we say at radio. So if you want to squabble with a couple of individual choices there, maybe Taj Harris could have been here. I mean, there's some great receivers here. Who does he take the place of? Justin Ross, Zay Flowers, Jaquari Roberson. Those are all great receivers. I think Taj Harris is going to have a great season too. But he didn't get snubbed. Go through all the positions. I think that Sean Tucker is going to be he kind of had his breakout season last year, so that's not a right way to term it, but he could be knocking on the door of this conversation. It's Zonovan Knight from uh, NC State, Mateo Durant from Duke on the list now. You're telling me that Sean Tucker can't be one of the best running backs at the end of the season? I certainly believe that. So it feels like there's a lot of players on the verge here. You're telling me Josh Black is going to be on the list? You're telling me that Mikel Jones can't be on that list? The guy's up for the Butkus Award which is given out to the best linebacker in college football. So the good news there is there are individual talents that make you look at this team and make you say, certainly they're going to be better than 1-10 in 10 last year. You look at certain talents that are in National Football League camps right now, and it gives you hope that through all of this, through all of the, how can I put this? through the challenges that Syracuse football has to overcome these days, they're still getting pockets of talent at individual positions that make you say they can recruit, they can get talent, and maybe they can, in a probably more reasonable way, find talent that's not four- or five-star level, but by the time they leave Syracuse, they're NFL level, right? So my squabble is not with the preseason all ACC football team this it's list season right we're putting out lists and all teams and preseason rankings and just kind of generating that conversation as football training camps open up every NFL team is in camp by now college football training camps start opening up next week giddy up let's go because summer's just killing time till football season anyway football season is essentially here with training camps arriving but every little thing that comes along here and if I'm Dino Babers, I would play the game too. And I've seen little responses here and there. Again, the, the social media world allows you kind of a view into how people feel about these things. Individual players responding to some of these things, noting some of these things, even just little things like eye emojis. Josh Black flat out responded to my tweet yesterday responded to somebody that brought that tweet to his attention. And it was simply a tweet saying, hey, here's the preseason ranking. Syracuse picked to finish last. And he responded, can't wait to prove everybody wrong, right? 
there is no greater motivator in sports and in sometimes in life, right, to prove people wrong in some sense. That I don't feel like that's healthy all the time because you just kind of become bitter. It's not about achieving your best and doing what you do. If you're just out to spite people and be like, ha, proved you wrong, you're going to find that turns into more of a negative thing than a positive thing. But everybody gets that kick in the butt one time. I'm going to show you, right? So this is what we have. I cannot think of a team that can lean in on this more than this football team right here, right now. Because no one believes in you, literally. And give me a reason why they should, if you want to be frank about this. You went 1-10 in 10 last year. And look, when you start to peel the layers away from that, there are reasons this team went 1-10 in 10 last year. COVID. They didn't lose any games due to COVID, but they lost players due to opt-outs, COVID testing situations and protocols, and it, it was a mess. It was just a mess. Legit injuries, football injuries. You lose your starting quarterback. You lose your All-American safety, who's getting ready to go to camp with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's still hurt and recovering, but he's he's on the team, right? An offensive line decimated. These are reasons. They're not excuses. But when we got to the end of the year, and here we are getting up, getting ready and ramping up for another season, what I said at the end of last year, and I have to remind you now, is none of that's going to matter. People that follow the team day in, day out, as closely as we do, we remember those things. And at the very least, to be fair, have to be brought to the table. Okay, But what you're going to remember, what is going to be etched in stone, no matter what, when you look at the record book, it's going to say 1 in 10. So it creates a very interesting situation going into this year. Skeptics will tell you that if they win three games, look, progress, right? Like there's a lot of ways that you can paint this. What I'm going to start to really emphasize, knowing that a team has to bounce back, knowing that a coach's job is I think potentially on the line again. Keep in mind, folks, there are several years left on Dino Baber's contract. I don't have all the particulars of that contract. It is not a public document. There are certainly opt-outs and buyouts and loopholes and all sorts of things. Every contract has them. I just don't know what they are. But the last thing that Syracuse University is going to want to do is pay Dino Babers not to coach their football team for three years. That's the last thing that they want to do. Because from my understanding of what the contract looks like, that's pretty much what you'll have to do if you do, in fact, make a coaching change. If it is not satisfactory if the fervor grows to a point from decision makers and those that influence these decisions that it's time to make a coaching change because we know what we see. Put record aside. Line in the sand. They win this many games. They do this. They get to a bowl game. We do this. No, it's it's one of those things you know it when you see it. You just know it when you see it, and you, it's a feel. It's a mix of art and science. But I know this. The last thing they want to do is pay a coach not to coach for two years, three years, whatever the terms of it are, and they will do everything possible to avoid that and just get to next year and go on, okay? 
So in order for that team to reach that moniker, to reach that level, to reach that point where the feel, I know what I see, and the path forward is we're going to keep going, is to pull out its best, to utilize what they have as best as they can. Do they have the talent to do it? I mean, we'll go through it with a fine-tooth comb as we go over the next few weeks here and get closer to the start of the season. There's certainly enough talent to win more than one game, right? There's certainly enough talent to be in the conversation for a bowl game. There's enough talent, and you always have to put the moniker in there. You always have to put the exception in there. you got to stay healthy, right? Because last year's team didn't. And they were down to, you know, Chris Elmore's playing left guard last year. They were desperate for players. And that's a conversation about depth and a whole other thing we can get into. But this is going to be the greatest no-one-believes-in-us campaign I have ever heard. It's been a very quiet offseason by design. Okay? Dino has tried to keep things humble, tried to keep things behind the scenes. The players, again, I, as I noted, they'll pop out here and there on social media. But they're ready to burst. They're ready to go. They're ready to prove us all wrong. Because you know what? They're right. They are right about this. This is not coach speak, athlete speak, roll your eyes. Boy, I've heard that before. They are correct when they say no one believes in them. What they do to prove people wrong. I am just as fascinated as anybody. And that is their task, to prove people wrong. So the motivation bucket is overflowing. The bulletin board material, they couldn't find more of it, right? Every little thing that comes up, every little preseason ranking, all ACC team, grab a couple of the magazines off the shelves, whatever you see, whatever you hear. And it's very easy to put this in front of the players a text message. There are monitors all over the facility. All they got to do is screenshot something, put it up there. Who knows? We could be streaming right now in the facility. Hello, everybody. It's very easy to get this in front of them. Very easy. Once training camp starts, if you see a rep that's off, if you see an effort that's not there, if all you got to do is pull out one of these things or all of them combined in some way, shape, or form. All you got to do is say 1 and 10, right? The hardest thing that Dino had to do was follow up a 10 and 3 season, was to convince a team that it was not as good as everybody thought it was. Now we're in the direct opposite. We have entered the bizarro world of that. You've got to convince a team that they're better than what people think they are. And on that note, we shall break. We will come back. We'll keep the conversation flowing. I want to switch gears to Bayheim's Army a little bit, but if you want to talk Syracuse football, you know you're always welcome to do that. 437-7644 is the phone number. Brent Tax Media on Twitter. The live chat is a flowing at twitch.tv slash Talk. My uh, monitor is uh, currently not working here, so pardon me for doing this, but who, who do we have from our friends at Lee Baldwin and Company today? 
This is Lee Baldwin. Hello, oh, the Brandon. man himself is here. How are you, sir? Sorry about that. Good. My little messenger thing was not working, so I couldn't see who was on the line. But good to hear your voice. Been a couple of weeks. I took a little vacation, but we're back, baby. Nice. All right. Well, we're right in the middle of it here on Wall Street. So Google just reported earnings. It's up about 2%. So that's kind of leading the way here after 4 o'clock. And... Uh, so I'll give my diamond to them. My dog so far, Microsoft down about seven bucks, Starbucks down about three. So uh, our dogs are out in Seattle, looks like today. So. I was gonna say, yeah, well, <laughs> what else is down out on the West Coast today? They're having a bad day. Good gracious. Pete's coffee, they down too. Yeah, Russell Wilson struggling. I mean the Mariners are playing well. They're trying to balance things out, I guess. So they there just got a go. hockey team. That's a good thing. So there's a little balance there. <laughs> Rough day for Seattle so. business, I guess. Yep, but good for Seattle hockey. I like it. Thanks, Lee. Always good to hear your voice, right, my thanks, friend. Thanks, Brent. There goes Lee Baldwin, folks. So uh, go talk to him and his great crew, and make sure you have all the diamonds and none of the dogs, no matter where they are, on your portfolio. You can find him in Chaos. You can find him in Utica, LeeBaldwin.com, for more information. Bayheim's Army went against a standard theory in sports last night, and that's what got him the victory. We'll discuss it next. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back around the block, ESPN Radio, twitch.tv slash QSportsTalk. Great to have you here. Happy Tuesday, everybody. So they say in sports that it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I think Bayheim's Army certainly finished. They won the game. It's a tense uh, fourth quarter once again. The Elam ending. Listen, I'm sorry. I don't know how you don't like this thing. When you're in a situation like, do I want to see it come into college basketball or the NBA? I'm not there. I I think they are established in the way that they close out games that way. I think it would be a seismic change in those individual sports to change them that way. But when you're a new tournament and you're trying to stand out, Now, the thing that TBT has rested on is the money, right? You have this collection of former players at schools and former pros and whatever the the bond that brings the team together is. Most of them are former college athletes, right? Either from the same school or now we've seen this kind of expand a little bit. But that's what's interesting about TBT is the different walks of life and the different people that assemble these super teams, if you will, to try and win a million dollars. It's a great concept. It's at a time of the year now. We're a little busier than usual in sports because, you know, schedules have been goofy because of COVID. It's an Olympic year. There's certainly more going on this time of the year than usual, but it's typically a slower time of the year where you can take focus. ESPN loves it because it's programming for the summer, and it's established itself quickly as something that people seek out. But in a very close second, what makes TBT stand out is the Elam ending. This unique way, four-minute mark comes, fourth quarter, shut it down. Doesn't matter what the clock says. It matters who gets to this score first. It alters the strategy. I love it. In context of what it is, I think Chris McCullough was joking around last night that he's not a fan, and he hit the winning shot for Bayheim's Army. So the ending is what takes focus. But you know what was crucial for this team 
was to start better because it was the opposite. And Bayheim's army is kind of showing its versatility. And it's only two games, but they're in this condensed schedule where they all kind of get together. They practice for a week, and now they're trying to figure things out. We'll talk to Coach Pulp about this next hour, by the way. The head coach of Bayheim's army is going to join us right here, and we'll go to the man himself and how you figure these things out as a coach. But son, or go back to Saturday, pardon me, when they start with Forces of Soul. Forces of Soul had three players with prior TBT experience. They had a coach that didn't even speak English. They're speaking the language of basketball. They're trying to decipher things during timeouts, and there's a language barrier there. I mean, they figured it out and gave Bayheim's Army all they could handle as Bayheim's Army. And it was funny because Pope brought it up. A couple of the people brought up the early start time. Now, remember, it's 11 a.m. in Illinois. It was a noon star Eastern time. It's 11 a.m. in Illinois, and he was joking around. It was like an AAU game, right? But when he got that many uh, games stacked up, the schedule as busy as it is, I mean, that's what's going to happen, right? Sometimes you get those nooners. You get those early games, which athletes tend to hate. They, there's just something about having to get up, get right out there, get the engines cranking that early in the day, right? But they struggled in that first game. They weren't hitting shots. The chemistry certainly wasn't there. They were just kind of trying to figure it out as they went along. Not starting well really hurt them. Now, they exploded in the fourth quarter. It clicked. They found a way. They played better defense. They hit some clutch shots. Malachi was great in that first game. They did enough to win. Now, they're a three seed, but Bayheim's Army is considered a favorite. They're considered one of the teams in the short breath that are expected to win this thing, or at the very least be in contention to win this thing. So go to last night. Bayheim's Army came out on fire. They came out connected. They came out finding the open man. I think by the middle of the second quarter, eight different players had scored. They were finding the extra player. Their defense was better. Their effort was better. You could just see they were a more confident team. You could just see... Something clicked between Saturday and Monday, and we'll ask Coach Pope about it coming up. And it's always easier when you're hitting shots. It's always easier when you're getting people involved that I'm watching Saturday and I'm saying, where's Devo? C.J. Fair is hitting shots from the corners. But the interesting dynamic that's playing out here is what DeAndre Kane and Tyrese Rice and D.J. Kennedy, some of these veterans of TBT have said, guys that have won money in this thing, 50-50 balls, win you the money, effort, scrappiness, right? Now, you got to hit shots. You got to do all these things in basketball to win. But it's been interesting to hear the pattern from the, the players that have won this thing, that the difference is hustle, grit, 50 50 balls, right? Tyrese Rice was great last night. DeAndre Kane was great last night. Like We're getting to know these players, too. We've certainly heard their names, having watched TBT in the past. And you look out there in the fourth quarter last night, in primetime, in Elam ending time, four of the five players on the court, yeah, they're wearing orange, but they're not orange, right? The, the joke that's been growing around Twitter that I get a chuckle out of is when Kennedy or Rice or Kane or any of the non-Sykes another non-Syracuse player on the team, does something big. It's Syracuse legend Tyrese Rice 
or Syracuse legend DJ Kennedy makes that big play. Well, look, non-Syracuse players combined for 41 points last night. This was a very humbling thing that Kevin Belby had to do. What they had to get better at was what I was just talking about. The previous Bayheim's Army teams, certain individuals aside, Okay, Eric Devendorf, you're telling me that guy doesn't scrap, he doesn't fight, he doesn't claw. I mean, if I was going to pick somebody to walk down a dark alley with, he'd be at the top of my list. Certain individuals aside, but Belby recognized like they didn't have enough of that. They didn't have enough of that element that wins in this tournament. You can have a lot of talent, you can have a lot of names that pop, you can have a lot of impressive people, particularly when you're a Syracuse fan, like, wow, look at that roster. But they had tried that way. They had to go... A- down a different path. And we're seeing the result of that. And what we're still seeing, by the way, are close games. Now, Bayheim's Army was pulling away. They were up big at halftime. They could not have played better in that first half. Heartfire comes out, third quarter, hitting threes, challenging rebounds, getting transition buckets, getting turnovers. First half, Bayheim's Army, I think, had 14 points off turnovers. It was like 14 to 2, I believe, at halftime, something like that. Hard fire turned it around. Lafonso Ellis, guy's been around. Good player, good coach, name you certainly recognize. There's a lot of pride in these things. And Hard Fire was one of those teams, as Michael Lair was on with us yesterday, who's calling the games for us right here on ESPN Syracuse, saying they were a team that came in with one of the bigger reputations of fighting, scratching, clawing, the 50-50 balls, that kind of thing. So what happened last night is, and I didn't make this joke on Twitter, but... You can't spell survives without non-Syracuse players. It was the non-Syracuse guys that added that element that allowed a Bayheim's Army team to survive. I mean, Cardiac Cuse was at it again. Wouldn't be a situation like this without Cardiac Cuse, I guess. So now they move on. We'll get a full preview with that and, and what Coach Pope's thinking about this matchup. But it really struck me last night because I think without those guys, they don't win. A lot of you were making comments on Twitter through the game like, oh, here we go, typical Syracuse in a way. There's just the way Syracuse plays that you got to kind of build in certain things. Teams can go on runs. They can challenge the zone. You don't always have the most physical presence in the paint, right? Like Syracuse is more of a finesse team than they are a grit team. Certain individuals aside, right? I don't want to paint with a broad brush there, but typically you're looking at a finesse team. Why did Syracuse go on such a deep run in the NCAA tournament this year? Because Buddy Beheim couldn't miss, right? The zone has been effective in other deep runs in the past, certainly. But you don't think of the zone as like a tough flex in your face defense. No, it makes you think. It's a mental approach. That Beheim's Army team, they play man-to-man. They grind, which allows opportunities for the more players tilted towards finesse to do what they do. But starting well last night was crucial. It was downright crucial for that team because they kind of had to hang on in the third, fourth quarter comes. Hartfire's right there. Now, Hartfire cost themselves that game, I think, in, in some ways. They missed some bunnies. They had a lot of opportunities under the basket. They just didn't put in. But, man, that Elam ending, I just love how no matter what is happening, you get to that four-minute mark, 
you go into that, whatever that first dead ball is after that, whatever happened at that point almost doesn't matter. Now, if you've got a big enough lead, if you've got a 12-point lead going into the Elam inning and the target score is only seven points away from where you are, whereas it's a deeper hole to dig out of for the team that's down big, of course, it's a bigger challenge. But the mentality of it, adjusting on the fly, I think that's why McCullough said that and some other players are like, I don't know, I'm not sure about this. You're used to a certain way, but that's the beauty of it. Who adjusts to that? And this is where toughness does come in a little bit. They're the ones that keep on going, survive in advance in this thing. So second straight game, but in a completely different fashion, how Bayheim's Army was challenged. In a condensed period of time, yes, but the more they kind of experience these things, the more they can lean on those things, right? The more, and I will ask Coach Pope about this later in the show, but the more things you have in your bag of tricks, okay, we've been down at halftime and had to come out in the second half and play better. We've had a third quarter where we only scored seven points. We had a fourth quarter where we went on a 22-3 to run. Right, like when you can lean on that, even again in just a few games, the more situations you have in your back pocket, they're all experienced players and have been in this situation elsewhere, but not as this team. We're starting to see like who the leaders are. We're starting to see who's going to get the ball when it matters. Um, Tyrese Rice sometimes can kind of drive in the paint, and you can tell he doesn't have a plan. He's just kind of hoping something happens. DJ Kennedy's really got to stop talking to the refs as much as he has been, right? I think there's a couple of times that these guys are just jacking up shots that they think they're there, and they're, God bless their confidence to hit them, but they're not. But I'm nitpicking here. This team, I like how they're coming together. There is a distinct difference between this Bayheim's Army team than the ones we've seen in the past. I mean, they're going to win it. But they really took a big step last night. Because that first game, you had some legit concerns. Like, maybe they just didn't have enough time to gel and who's going to emerge in what way. What I was really impressed with last night was there just seemed to be more of a understanding, more of a plan, more of a here's what we do when this pops up. Whereas the first game, they were they're just kind of trying to figure it out. So what happens in game three tomorrow night, as you'll hear right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, I'm as fascinated as anybody. Because you win game three, you have to adjust and go from Peoria to Dayton. There's a little bit of a change here, but now they're going to start believing in themselves. Now they're going to start looking around like, okay, all right, we got this. I want to ask Coach Pope about how the chemistry is building, what they're doing in these condensed practices to kind of figure out, like, this this is what you do, right? So we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. But all in all, it's, it's just so entertaining. The elements that were cool about this before, they're still cool. Syracuse basketball fans coming together in the middle of the summer, being reminded of things that made it feel like, other than the weather, it was the middle of February, not the middle of July. Like we said, cardiac cues and losing second-half leads and what defense are we playing and questioning coaching moves. And at the end, like you come through it, like that's what's great about it. We will discuss that more with Coach Pope later in the show. We will come back to some hot takes after this. Yeah, I've, I've got some things to say about Simone Biles and kind of the unfortunate environment we're in today. There's some legit questions out there. I don't want to just paint with a broad brush and say everybody that's criticizing Simone Biles is wrong. 
But there's one key thing about this that I think a lot of people are overlooking. And I understand that it's only been a few hours here. But it's an interesting dynamic because there's a time difference. Some people know, maybe some don't. They're going to sit down, watch NBC tonight, then aren't on Twitter all day and don't know what happened. They're going to be absorbing this in their own real time, and they're going to start to ask these questions again. You're going to see a lot of this pop up again tonight when NBC actually broadcasts this. There's one thing people are really forgetting here that we'll discuss next. Stay right there.